Hey now, we are getting over an I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with the only wrestling podcast that is delivering you six hours of audio, two instant analysis podcasts, and an interview with the WWE champion, all in a one-week span. Yes, that means we're back with the latest Wednesday Night Wars edition of the show, breaking down everything that happened on NXT and AEW Dynamite. Before we get to that, you guys know the drill. Five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to find audio. Don't forget to also follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. We did post some polls on Twitter yesterday, and I took those responses seriously, so that is going to affect how today's show sounds and some things that we do going forward in the future. I appreciate everyone who responded to those. Look for more polls in the future, and you can always feel free to DM. I appreciate DMs instead of tweets in this regard. DM me any thoughts on the show or ideas or considerations that you think I should take into account. Going forward, always happy to hear from you guys. I am also thinking, while we're talking at the beginning of the show here, about starting something like a Patreon or or something similar to cover basic monthly show expenses and also save for new equipment. Now, I'm not sure what that would look like, if it would be maybe different levels of potential contribution, uh, but certainly if anyone has ideas or things that you think you would like to come from something like that, if you were considering uh, contributing, let me know and we can put it into effect. Okay, enough of all that. Uh, Let's get into talking about wrestling. I will remind you before we begin the main portion of this show, go back into our archives. If you did not hear our Money in the Bank instant analysis, it is sitting there waiting for you. If you did not hear our WWE breaking news instant analysis coming out of Raw on Monday night, it is sitting there waiting for you. And if for some reason you did not hear our interview episode from last Friday, where I went one-on-one with WWE Champion Drew McIntyre and WWE Superstar Aleister Black, then I don't know what the hell you're doing. Those were fantastic interviews, if I do say so myself. I'm going to do a little Barry Horowitz here. Uh, But no, seriously, I think you guys would significantly enjoy them. I had a great conversation with Drew McIntyre. Aleister Black really let us into a bunch of information about his character, uh, the way he thinks about, you know, wrestling in WWE. And I even won him some brownie points with Zelina Vega, his wife, at the end of that interview. So definitely a worthwhile listen. But we are here to talk about what went down Wednesday night in the world of professional wrestling. And the way we do that is we start with the main event. This is the main event. Now, last week, I praised AEW to no end. And I think you guys now understand that when I talk about the Wednesday Night Wars, I am candid, I am honest, I tell you who I think had the better show and why, who is succeeding and doubling down on successes and who maybe is wasting opportunities. So last week was a pro AEW show. I I was very pleased with what they did and I thought NXT under-delivered. Well, this week, folks, it was a reversal of fortunes for these two companies, these two brands. Because NXT bounced back in a major way, despite a overall lacking build to the show, especially compared to a week ago, where it had a pair of title matches set that we thought, hey, we might get something happening here. We maybe might see a new NXT champion. This week, the show really focused around Matt Riddle and Timothy Thatcher. And that storyline began in the opening match, the tag team title defense uh, between Riddle, who was defending his championships with Thatcher filling in for Pete Dunne against Imperium. And 
it, it was such a smart, simple booking decision to have Riddle and Thatcher blow up so quickly. Uh, they are perfect opponents for one another, as you saw in the main event, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But the match with Imperium was solid, and the tag team title change needed to happen. It was necessary, given Pete Dunne's absence. And Riddle and Thatcher, they were fine together, they worked well, but Riddle and Dunne was the booking. That's the interesting, exciting team, and and we're not going to get done in, for a while because I don't think they're going to lift those UK travel restrictions. So because of that, you know, we kind of, they had to go in a different direction. I think putting the titles on Imperium, which maybe they were set to do at a takeover at some point, I think that was the right decision. Uh, but what you look at now in NXT is there's a major dearth of teams. You do have Imperium, the new champions, Undisputed Era. There's Indu Sher, which we've only seen twice. And that's about it. Brizango, uh, Fandango is injured. Um, you know, now Pete Dunne and Matt Riddle are broken up. There's basically no face tag teams on the brand, and I'm certainly not counting Ever-Rise in that group. So the NXT tag team picture, which used to be incredible, they have seen the Forgotten Sons and, and the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders all go over to the main roster, and now they're basically left with nothing. It is very, very weak. So maybe there are plans to introduce some new face tag teams. I'm not exactly sure, but they need to do something because it is a very lacking division at this time. Now, back to Riddle and Thatcher. Uh, I like the storyline early with the monkey flip kind of pissing Thatcher off, even though it really wouldn't make sense. It was clearly a mistake. But Thatcher leaves him. I do wish that Riddle went a little bit longer by himself because he's that caliber of athlete. But they did change the titles to Imperium. Backstage, Riddle found Thatcher, basically went after him. Then a little bit later in the show, when Riddle got a match with Thatcher, Thatcher attacked him with a forearm slammed a monitor over him, and then we get the main event. And let's start with the positives. The match was awesome, okay? It was all strikes, submissions, and counters, uh, I think, for except for a sit-down powerbomb. Uh, but I am sick of NXT main events starting with like 15 or 13 minutes left in the show. You know you're not getting a complete high-quality match, which is what we as NXT fans, as people who watch the product, are expecting and what we know the show should be about. Now, it's pretty obvious to me with the roll-up finish, they're going to go with Riddle and Thatcher again. And that's a great decision because I want to see these guys go 25, 30 minutes uh, on a pay-per-view or a takeover and just tear the freaking house down. The 15 minutes they gave us, the, the 12 minutes, whatever, it was fantastic. Don't get me wrong. It was the match of the week, truthfully. So, and that even, I, I would put it even over the Drew McIntyre-Andrade match, which I thought was very good from Raw. But nevertheless, you want more. You want that beef, meaning length, in the, in that main event on NXT. And they're not really giving it to us. So I was disappointed with that. All right. I do have a DM from James Ferragino, Ferragino, at jferragino34. Hey, Adam. You used to talk about how Riddle would be perfect under the handling of Paul Heyman on Raw. And I completely agree. Do you think Matt is a guy who could skip having a run as NXT champion and immediately thrive in a top role on Raw. I don't see him being in the NXT title picture soon, and I don't want to wait two to three more years before seeing him on the Red Show. Love the pod. Keep up the awesome work. It's a really good question, and yes, I completely agree with you. I would have Matt Riddle win this feud with Timothy Thatcher and have him go immediately to Raw. I don't... They're wasting time with this guy. He is on the older side in terms of someone who is just starting in WWE, as is Keith Lee, by the way. Um, that's not saying he's old. That's not saying he doesn't have a long 
time left in the company. He probably st- still has you know a good 10 years, especially considering his fitness level and how athletic he is. But Riddle is such a special, unique, engaging personality. And WWE, because it doesn't have many of its top stars right now, it needs to develop new top stars. And, and sure, we all would love to see Biggie elevated into the main event, or I, I would love it if they gave this person or that person a really big opportunity to go after the main title. But there are people who are naturally main eventers, and Matt Riddle is ma- naturally a main eventer. So I don't need him going after the North American title, although a feud with Keith Lee would be incredible. I don't need him going after the NXT championship, although him beating Adam Cole would make a lot of sense, and maybe he could drop the title afterward to Karrion Cross. These are all things that are exciting. The, the, the prospect of Matt Riddle wrestling a lot of these people in NXT is extremely exciting because he's in, incredibly talented. But Matt Riddle is a main roster superstar, just like Keith Lee is. And they have so many faces on NXT and they have so many other people that they are not yet utilizing on that brand, a swerve who is being underutilized. Cameron Grimes isn't, we'll talk about him in a bit, but he could be utilized more and in a a greater way, that I think you got to take someone like Riddle and you got to give him the opportunity right now. Have him beat Thatcher, have him move on, or have him lose to Thatcher even, because you go out on your back, of course, before you switch brands. Um, Have him lose to Thatcher, push Thatcher as this, you know, badass dude, uh, this Matt Wrestling, you know, psychopath, and have Riddle go over to the main roster. But you got to do something with Matt Riddle now, and I don't want them to wait much longer. Uh, I did think that NXT should have followed up stronger than... Tegan Knox versus Indy Hartwell as the match after the opening segment to keep viewers. WWE really has a problem when it comes to promoting NXT, both inside the show and around the show. They don't do nearly enough on their major channels or during Raw, whereas during Raw, you'll hear 17 times that there is a huge announcement coming or that Drew McIntyre will be signing a contract with Seth Rollins in the main event. But at the beginning of NXT, they didn't even mention that DX would be on the show. They didn't mention that Undisputed Era would be on the show, and they didn't promote UE at all, and they didn't even mention DX would be there until 55 minutes into the show, the commercial break before the segment. And it was an entertaining segment. Granted, the announcement wasn't earth-shattering, but DX is on the show. Triple H, Shawn Michaels, these are people that fans want to see. Now, maybe they didn't know on Monday that they were going to be there, and that's fine. That's cool. But at the beginning of the show on Wednesday... Before you get into the Matt Riddle match, you say, hey, we're going to have a huge announcement. DX is doing it. You know, it's going to be later in the show. Make sure you stay tuned. What's the harm in that? You want your people to stay. When you look at the quarter hour ratings for NXT versus AEW, a lot of times you'll see that NXT has a huge audience in that first 15 minutes and then they drop off. It's because of scheduling and booking like this that it happens. Tegan Knox, great. People like her. Indy Hartwell, they had a decent match, but that's not going to keep people when you could have advanced one of the, you could have put the Karrion Cross promo next, or you could have had the Finn Balor, Cameron Grimes segment. So they really need to think stuff like that through. Um, now, Tyler M at TDMel52, he says, most older fans know what In Your House is, but they have to explain it to a younger crowd. Will you do that? So yes, uh, Tristan Atalano at Atalano underscore Tristan. I, like most, got really excited when NXT announced the next takeover would be In Your House. But then I got to thinking, if there's no special set designer production, it's just a name. Is it even worth getting excited over? These are good questions. I think it's a nostalgia play, clearly. It's a 25-year anniversary of In Your House, which debuted in 1995. 
Um, and, you know, WWE for WrestleMania 36, they actually came out with a WrestleMania in your house shirt, which I thought was funny. And when it goes down to like six bucks on WWE shop one day, I will buy it because it's pretty funny. Um, but no, I don't think there's going to be anything special about in your house. I don't think they're going to give away a house. I don't think they're going to change the set in a major way. Um, you're talking about adding people into the performance center or actually in that case into full sale to do construction work where you're trying to keep the number of people in these facilities limited. So I do think it's a nostalgia play. It's just a name. There'll be cool graphics and that's about it. But why should fans care? Well, if you're a younger fan uh, or a newer fan and you're not aware, WWE in the mid 90s, they basically had five pay-per-views a year. They had uh, WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, and King of the Ring, which had just kind of started getting into the rotation. But WCW, which they were competing with, had 10. So WWE thought, okay, well, we got to start creating more content and making more money. So we're going to create a pay-per-view series. We're going to do about four or five of them a year, and we're going to call them In Your House. And where our pay-per-views are normally $30 for three hours, the In Your House shows are going to be $15 for two hours. So half the price, right? So WWE starts airing these shows and, you know, they weren't doing them every month. Obviously, as I said, there were basically only four or five a year in addition to the big five, but they started doing it and people started buying them. And on the very first show, they had Todd Pettengill, who was one of the main announcers at the time, give away a house. Literally, they gave away a house to a uh, 11 year old kid was the winner. And he ended up selling it six months later for like $175,000, which back in 1995 was a very good amount of money for a house in Orlando. That's where it was located. Um, so they basically, they upped the pay-per-view price by the end of the year, 1995 to 20 bucks. And over the next couple of years, they started going away from just calling all of the events in your house and they would give them subtitles. In your house, bad blood, in your house, over the edge, unforgiven, mind games. And some of them were obviously connected to superstars, mind games being mankind or unforgiven was the undertaker. They had one that they just called Degeneration X, which was obviously DX, Rock Bottom, um, Canadian Stampede, which was Bret Hart and the Hart Foundation or the Hart Family. So that, that's what they did within your house. Uh, but eventually what they did was by like around 1997, they increased them all to three hours and 30 bucks. Um, so they made them basically the same as the other pay-per-views. And then by 1999, they stopped doing them. They took away the In Your House name. And they just used a lot of the names I just mentioned, Over the Edge, um, Unforgiven, uh, you know, names like that. They, they used those as the main pay-per-view names and WWE started doing one pay-per-view a month. And that's how we got to the 12 pay-per-view a year schedule that we basically have now, give or take, you know, the the money in the sands and and some of the other stuff that WWE throws in these days. So that's that's the genesis of In Your House. It was something that WWE started 25 years ago to, you know, make more money and compete with WCW. And it worked in a major way. When WWE went from the $20 price point to the $30 price point, they started making a ton more money. It, it hugely helped their bottom line. And financially, it was part of what helped them over, you know, step up to WCW, be able to pay the talent more money and eventually overcome them. So, it, does it have any impact in 2020 beyond, beyond the nostalgia play? No, but for a fan like me who I watched the first In Your House, I ordered it. I think I watched every single one that they ever aired. Uh, it's awesome nostalgia and I'm very excited about it. And if you go back, many of those 
uh, in your house events were some of the best pay-per-views that WWE put together. There are incredible matches uh, in those shows. So yeah, go back and look up and, and research and watch in your house if you have not, because it is very exciting. Okay, back to NXT. Uh, as I requested a couple weeks ago, love to see the concentration on vignettes. My dog Moose is joining me for this segment. Just walked in. You probably heard him on the floor there. Uh, they did a great job advancing the Karrion Cross and Scarlet Bordeaux characters. So far, every time we've seen them on the screen, it feels a bit unique and different and intriguing, and I like that. They also provided some strong reasoning behind Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez getting together, which I thought was much needed for both of their characters and for long-term storylines. They very much do have the Shawn Michaels and Diesel dynamic going for them, and I think it can work long-term with both of them. The dinner at the Gargano's, it's a really fun segment. It's incredibly inventive, and I hope they keep doing it. Um, I love to see how their personality goes from husband and wife who are on the same page to then very quickly turning and being angry at a specific person. For Gargano, it's Keith Lee. For uh, Candice LeRae, it is Casey Cantonazaro. And the the part where Johnny asks about, is Cantonazaro a ninja, a warrior, or American? And Candice says, no, no. And then like relents that, yeah, I guess she's American. That was hysterical. That's one of the best things um, from a comedy standpoint that NXT's done in quite some time. So I love that. But the vignettes... They need to do that. They need to continue doing that on NXT and they need to do a lot more of it on WWE Raw and SmackDown because it helps develop characters and it fills in a lot of gaps that you don't need to fill with empty arena matches. Finn Balor fought Cameron Grimes um, and lost to him. The attacker from a couple weeks ago was revealed as Damian Priest in that segment as well. I thought the loss made sense to help Grimes improve his stock uh, and it had been needed after he'd lost a few feuds or a few showdowns at least. And I'm glad that they actually provided some tangible motivation to Priest's attacks now. He wants his name to live forever, just like his gimmick. And going after a former Universal Champion and a big-time star in Finn Balor, that obviously makes sense toward that end. I also very much like that Priest and Balor recreated the Triple H Undertaker uh, trapped chair spot. That was a really nice touch. And it was different this time because previously it was... Triple H, the smaller guy, trapping the Undertaker under the chair. This time it was Priest trapping the smaller guy, Finn Balor. So I enjoyed that. Uh, any types of nods to historic moments like that I always popped me, and that was a really solid one. I don't know if it was totally on purpose or not, but I felt like it was. Uh, this was also another week, two in a row, where I felt the interim cruiserweight championship tournament matches were mediocre and kind of forgettable. You had Swerve go out there and cut a great promo early in the show. Maybe his best one on NXT. Then he loses to Jack Gallagher, who was already eliminated. Swerve is a guy who should be getting pushed heavy in this tournament. He's gonna he's one and two. That's how he's gonna finish. And I get that they're gonna have Elio de Fantasma beat Akira Tozawa and then go to the finals from the group. I understand. But it's just disappointing. I would have much rather had Swerve at, at two and one and then lose the tiebreaker or even have a match that's a tiebreaker to Phantasma, where Phantasma gets the win back over Swerve. That's just disappointing to me. Now, perhaps Phantasma wins the whole thing, takes the Cruiserweight title, and then Swerve, since maybe he's the only guy that beats him, um, gets a title match off the top. That That's cool, but obviously Swerve's not going to win the title in that, in that situation. So I just think they need to do more with Swerve. It's really as simple as that. He's extremely talented. He's someone who should be getting a push. He can speak. He's great in the ring. Um... They're just wasting time with him right now. But, but you know, I'm glad he's there. I'm glad he's in WWE. And I do think it's the right spot for him. 
I saw him at a uh, charity show like a couple WrestleManias ago, like the Friday night before Mania or something like that. And I had never heard of him before, Shane Strickland. I was like, oh my God, this guy's freaking awesome. To see him in, in WWE like a year and a half later, just a really cool moment. I was actually really glad that we did not see Dexter Loomis on this week's show, even though he was referenced. It had been not overload seeing him, but it would have become overload if every single episode he's there in the shadows or they're peeking out and helping someone. Um, so to take a break for at least one week, it was nice. It, it means that next week when we see him again, I assume, it's going to mean something a little bit more. So that was a very positive development. I also liked to wrap up on NXT that even though they're pushing Aaliyah into something with the Robert Stone brand, they let her lose the match and gave Caden Carter the win. I can't fully understand why Carter hasn't got more legitimate opportunities. She goes on Raw as a jobber. She basically loses to everyone that's good in NXT. She's very good in the ring. She has a great look. She reinvented the name, changed it. The name's good too. I'm not saying that she needs to be champion, but she should be someone who is featured along the lines of Mia Yim and not someone who's sitting there basically to lose most matches. So that's NXT. And as I said, I did think they stepped up their game from a week ago, which was a disappointment. And I'm going to flip the script on AEW, which again, I praised up and down last week for having the most entertaining show of this pandemic era. I did think Raw on Monday night eclipsed it, but AEW on Wednesday, it's at least 1B, which is not any insult. Um, And then they followed it up this week with a show that I can only say was a massive disappointment. I think it failed to capitalize on the incredible show last week. If you tuned into AEW in that opening segment and stuck through it and didn't flip the channel, um, then kudos to you. You're just a big AEW fan because I did not like what they gave us. It was another situation where a major AEW person promised something huge and massively under-delivered. Previously, as I've mentioned, it's been Tony Khan. This week, going into the show, Chris Jericho said this week's show was going to be even better than last week's. That's how excited he was about the booking. I don't know where that came from because this didn't come close to it. I mentioned last week that they need to stop forcing Cody into the opening segment every week. So what did we get in the opening segment? Cody. Uh, It was laughably bad, in my opinion. They had a huge truck parked like 10 feet away from a very small security gate. Cody puts the car, he's there fuming because he's so angry at Lance Archer and Jake Roberts. He puts it in drive, touches the gate with the the front of the truck. The gate falls over and then he gets out and they're, oh my God, Cody's invading the arena. He's the executive vice president of the company. He doesn't need to bust in like Steve Austin. This guy is trying to be Triple H and Stone Cold simultaneously and he's neither of them. I used to give Cody a lot of crap and I thought that he has really turned things around late in 2019 and early 2020. Early 2020, I thought he was maybe wrestler of the year through the first couple of months. But man, it has not been good recently. And this was laughably bad. Why is he ramming a gate when he's the EVP? Why does he have a huge truck to ram a gate that he could literally have just climbed over or walked around? It wasn't even completely closed in. And if you're gonna have a huge truck ram ram a gate, then run over it. It felt like it was someone's personal truck, maybe his, and he just didn't want to ruin it. So he, he just touched the gate with the front bumper and it fell over. It was so laughable. Beyond that, the entire fight with Lance Archer was clunky. It was boring. It somehow made me care less about the match than I did previously. And I did care a little bit. But this feud just, I don't care. I think it's going to be, end up being a good match. 
And the Jake Roberts stuff last week with Brandy, I told you that was great. I very much enjoyed it. This did not progress the storyline. It was bad. They never really touched on it again in the show, except for announcing that Mike Tyson would be presenting the TNT Championship at Double or Nothing. And I think it's a cool idea. I like Mike Tyson, especially in the reformed version of Mike Tyson. And I'm guessing that there's probably some crossover promotion with Bleacher Report Live for Tyson's return fight. But it's so funny how AEW has said that they are going to distance themselves from WWE and they don't want nostalgia pops, yet they keep adding WWE wrestlers or backstage people or nostalgia acts and they can't help themselves. Look, Mike Tyson is the baddest man on the planet and a former heavyweight champion of the world. And he is known for his successes in the boxing ring. But in a wrestling sense, what do you know him from? You know him from Jim Ross screaming, Tyson and Austin, Tyson and Austin. You know him from, you know, knocking out Shawn Michaels and from ripping the shirt off and turning from DX to to Stone Cold. You know him from WWE. So it's just another kind of like roll your eye moment a little bit for me where AEW says they want to be their own thing, but they can't get away from WWE related stuff. Again, if you think I'm being hard on AEW, there's some positivity coming here, but let's remember how positive I was last week. So, you know, people, I saw someone tweet me after last week's show, and for people that are longtime listeners, hey, I listened for the first time, man, you're just another AEW mark who hates NXT. And I'm like, well, you've clearly only heard one episode because I'm an NXT fan above AEW who gives AEW a lot of crap, but is fair across the board. And, you know, looking at last week, again, I know I've already said it twice on the show, but I thought AEW had a big opportunity to deliver here. And I just feel like they failed on on the entire show. Uh, moving on, the best friends Jurassic experience, I mean, uh, Jurassic Express match, didn't care, but that like dragon kick or whatever you want to call it, that Phoenix hit Orange Cassidy with, that was brutal and freaking awesome. Um, I didn't necessarily care about that casino ladder match that they're going to be having at all, but Phoenix and Orange Cassidy, I want to see them go. That's going to be incredible. It does need to be said in a point of positivity here that AEW's women's division has really improved with Britt Baker's character and Akara Shida's in-ring ability. It's entertaining now more than it had been in the past. The Fatal 4-Way match, I enjoyed as well. It's still still not anywhere near the WWE NXT level of the women's division, but they have definitely taken a lot of positive steps in the right direction. That does need to be commended. I also continue to be impressed with Matt Hardy's in-ring ability and his job, the job he's doing teaming with Kenny Omega. For guys who have never tagged before, They worked so well together. Hardy's last two weeks tagging with Omega have completely saved all the negativity I had about his prior appearances where I just, it felt stale and old to me. But working with Omega, it feels fresh. Obviously, Kenny is one of, if not the best wrestler in the world. So there's no surprise that they work well together. But man, it's just been a breath of fresh air and I'm really liking what they're doing. I'm curious what they're going to do with the AEW Tag Team Championships. It doesn't seem like they're really you know, discussing that on air. Uh, I know they're mentioning it on the Being the Elite show, which I have actually not been a fan of the last few weeks. But, you know, I am curious. Maybe Hardy kind of steps in and they let him defend the titles with Omega. It's also weird that Hardy's just now part of the Elite when he's kind of his own entity, but they're just grouping him in there immediately. I find that to be strange. Uh, They announced the Stadium Stampede match, and I think it's a really good idea for a match. Given the circumstances, it plays off the street fight from last week. I have no doubt it's going to be a highlight of Double or Nothing. It does concern me 
how much they already accomplished in the street fight on Dynamite last week because they're going to have to step up and exceed the expectations that are going to be had going into this match considering what they already gave us. If they promised a stadium stampede match and gave us the segment from Dynamite two weeks ago and we had never seen it before, people would love it at the pay-per-view. But they're going to have to figure out to go beyond that. So I guess they're going to fight in suites and maybe the stands eventually on the field. You know, the Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium, I think I think it still has that unique area where there's like a pool and lounge chairs or something in one of the end zones. Um, you know, I've been there multiple times. It's a fine stadium. I, I've been there for the Florida-Georgia game primarily, which, of course, is one of the best college football games every year, which I hope they play this year. But I don't exactly know what they're going to do with, with the stipulation. I have a feeling it's going to succeed and people are going to be really happy. Now, for the rest of that segment, Chris Jericho's promo against Vanguard 1, it, it just felt a little bit repetitive and forced that it worked so well one time they wanted to go back to the well Destroying it, I guess that was kind of funny. Uh, Jericho definitely made it work. Him naming his bat. You know, it's kind of like Ambrose in the plant. That That's cool. So, you know, it was a fine segment. I saw people really giving it a lot of crap for, you know, just being repetitive. It's, it was still entertaining because Chris Jericho makes things like that work. And he tweeted something early last week or late last week about, you know, he truly believes, you know, not being egotistical that he's the best wrestler in the world right now. I don't know that that's true, but I do know that he gets things over easier and better than anyone else in the world of professional wrestling. He's certainly one of the most entertaining characters. Um, he reinvents himself every single time, not just every single like time he changes companies, but like every month there's a new like tweak to his gimmick that is selling shirts or sh- selling bottles of champagne or whatever the case might be. So Jericho deserves a lot of credit. Uh, he, like I said, basically anything he's involved in works, except for that in-ring promo with Matt Hardy like a month ago. That failed miserably. But aside from that, almost everything Jericho does these days works, and he deserves a lot of credit as well. Uh, the main event of the show was the exalted one, Brody Lee, against Christopher Daniels. Why? That's a main event? I get Moxley was there. We knew he was going to attack. That ain't a main event. Not when you have plenty of other things on that card that you could have put there. You could have done a regular storyline. You didn't need a match. The match was mediocre at best. Uh, Moxley already being a champion, chasing his stolen belt. That has been so overdone in wrestling history. It's such an eye roller of a storyline that you expect so much more from AEW. When they have unique booking, when they do give you a quality product with storylines you either haven't seen before or they're twisted where you haven't seen them in a while. But the Brody Lee Moxley match is happening too soon. Um, it's it's not entertaining me. I think there, I don't think there's any chance whatsoever of Lee winning the title, which is what you want to happen uh, when you are going to build up a character like the Exalted One. Nor do I think he should win the title. So it's I'm just sitting here kind of like, what is the entire point of this? It seems like the Stadium Stampede match is going to end up being the main event of Double or Nothing. And we can talk about that card right now because they are building it. Uh, Elite versus Inner Circle in the Stadium Stampede. I expect that to be the main event. If not, it will be the AEW Championship, John Moxley against Brody Lee. We we also mentioned Cody against Lance Archer for the TNT Championship. And then the rest of the card is just like a shrug. Private Party versus Best Friends for no good reason. Nyla Rose defends the Women's Championship against Hikaru Shida. 
in a no DQ, no countout match. Deserved Sheeta being the number one contender and Rose finally defending the title. That's a good match. So I'm glad that's on there. MJF versus Jungle Boy out of left field. Don't care. And then the Casino Ladder match, which should be better than their Battle Royal. Uh, you already have Darby Allen and Phoenix and Orange Cassidy in it. So you know it's going to be entertaining from a in-ring perspective. But their big idea for the match is to do Money in the Bank with a chip instead of a briefcase. I mean, we again, we, we kind of expect unique concepts and unique things from AEW. And it just feels very much like Money in the Bank to me. So that's a little bit disappointing. I do think the show is going to be good. But AEW is charging full price $49.99 for Double or Nothing. That I will tell you this. I get the pay-per-views paid for due to work and, and you know other circumstances. But if I was a fan and I had the choice of paying for this or not paying for it, there is no chance in hell I would pay $50 for an empty arena pay-per-view with this card. I just wouldn't do it. So kudos to them for trying and charging this much. I think they're still going to get a lot of sales, but people are out of work right now. A lot of people are out of work. Like 30 million people are out of work. Um, You're not delivering the same pay-per-view that you were supposed to, obviously, for for good reason, of course. Uh, you know, it was supposed to be in Las Vegas, a huge show, long-term storylines. A lot of these are very short-term storylines. And you want me to pay the same rate, $50 for the show. I would not do it if I was a fan. The other criticism to, you know, wrap up AEW here, again, they're not really being consistent regarding like the safety measures. And it's, it just continues to take me out of the show. It's, there's a complete inconsistency of people wearing masks. Either everyone along the side of the ring should wear them or no one should. Um, then people are touching and removing their masks to talk or eat or drink. That's not safe. That's not that's contrary to the entire point. People are wearing masks one week, Jake Roberts, where you're like, okay, it makes sense. He's an older guy. And then not wearing it at all this week because he needs to talk in the mic. Why don't you just cut the promo behind the scenes? And then this week, just like I criticized last week, all those random people following the street fight, they had one section, everyone grouped together in one area of, I guess, family and friends and fans. And there's no good reason whatsoever for that to have been there. Didn't add anything to the show. You could not hear them. And they were all grouped together. The entire point of this thing is social distancing. So if they wanted to insert like five fans per section in the five sections behind the camera for extra noise... Okay, maybe I get that. But why are you just throwing 40 people in one section? Like, it, it's mind-numbing to me. So, I mean, you can talk about AEW testing their wrestlers and testing everyone that goes into the arena, and that's great. But people are clearly criticizing, you know, WWE for running shows. They're criticizing AEW as well. I mean, at least WWE is trying to mitigate the number of people on screen at any given time. Yeah, of course, they are doing eight-man tag team matches, but that's eight people. AEW had a tag team match with 10 wrestlers on each side, people on commentary, and then 40 people in the crowd. So I just don't like it. It it, it bothers me to watch it, knowing what's going on and what everyone's trying to do and how safe everyone's going to be. Golf, where golfers don't interact, they don't touch each other, they're all going to get tested as well. They're not allowing fans at least until July. And yet AEW has, again... 20 people around the ring and like 40 people in the crowd. So again, to me, not a huge fan of what they're doing in that regard. 
Um, I did think that this week's show was a big step back from last week. And if you are judging based on, you know, how if you're judging critically based on how much you enjoyed the shows, NXT was a far winner this week. I don't know if it's going to play out that way in the ratings, but NXT was by far the better show this week for me. Okay, we're going to move into getting overtime where I answer some of your questions, talk about some additional topics not covered already in the show. And we're going to start with no Daikon at Chef Aaron 26. By the way, I did get an explanation. He's from North Dakota. So that's the name, not that he doesn't like Daikon Radish, even though his name is Chef. That's kind of what I just assumed. Isn't it ironic and very hypocritical that Vince McMahon strips Sami Zayn of the Intercontinental title because he fears for his health and refuses to defend it, yet has Brock Lesnar be part-time champion for the better part of three years? I also don't understand why they put the title on Zayn in the first place when it should have went to Cesaro, who absolutely needs a title reign and push as the most underappreciated wrestler on the roster. So I I think it's a fair question, but I think I'm going to kind of tear it apart here a little bit. So Sami Zayn is unable in kayfabe and in real life refusing because he doesn't want to show up to defend his title. Brock Lesnar was part-time world champion but he was always willing to defend his title. He just, in kayfabe, didn't always have challengers and he wasn't being asked by the company to do so because of his status. So you cannot really compare Sami Zayn to Brock Lesnar, either in terms of drawing power or prestige, both in kayfabe or in real life. What I do think the WWE should have done is gone the NXT cruiserweight route and declared an interim champion. That way, when Zayn comes back, they could have a fight for the title. I guess they decided... They didn't want to do that twice. They didn't want to have two interim titles at the same time. Also, an interim championship is way more real sports. And that's what NXT is about, whereas WWE is not necessarily like that, the main roster. So that is why I think they went in that direction. But look, people are kind of vilifying WWE for doing this. Not a lot of people, by the way. Most agree. But the guy doesn't want to show up to work. No criticism. That is his right. WWE is allowing him to do it. They're keeping him employed. They're not punishing him for it. But at the same time, the Intercontinental Championship is important. It can't just not be on TV for four months. They don't know when Sami Zayn's going to come back. With Andrade, when he got hurt, or sorry, when he got suspended and wasn't able to defend the title for a month, they knew he was coming back. With Sami Zayn, they don't know. It could be a month. It could be four months. It could be a year. He may wait until the vaccine is ready. So, Because they don't know, they can't just allow this guy to hold on to the title the entire time. So I I have no issue with Vince or WWE making this decision. Regarding whether Cesaro should have won it, uh, no. I mean, the right call was Zayn. He had never had a main roster championship. It made sense in the context of the match. Don't forget, it was a triple threat, three-on-one against... Not triple threat. It was a three-on-one handicap match against Braun Strowman. The other guys did the dirty work, and the leader of the group got the spoils, basically. So no, that was the right decision. Uh, What I am excited about, though, is I always love tournaments for vacant titles. They're great. Uh, So there's a loaded SmackDown mid-card roster right now. I think there's probably like 12 to 14 guys easily who could be in a tournament. I want them to do a 16-man bracket over like five weeks. I would love to see them go beyond the normal eight people and make it special. And I hope that whoever wins gets rid of the damn stupid ugly, clanky, shitty title that they currently have. This new Intercontinental title is butt ugly. Um, It clanks together. It sounds like it's cheaply made. 
and it does not, it pales in comparison to the original Intercontinental Championship. Get that thing out of here, give me the new one, and let's move on with the IC title picture. All right, Jordan Blaney at jblaney21. Have you been watching Dark Side of the Ring? It has been really entertaining to watch. Next week is the season finale, and it's about Owen Hart. I would love to hear your thoughts. So I have seen every Dark Side of the Ring episode from the prior seasons. I had to, you know, change my cable provider when I moved. I moved into a new house in July. And when I, I didn't change my provider, I had to change my package. And when I changed the package because I moved, I had to like figure out what channels I did or didn't want. And Vice, unfortunately, was not one of the ones on the package I ended up getting. It was the lo- like it was the only channel that I knew I would like that I was losing. Now I know that all the Dark Side of the Ring episodes are on YouTube, and I will be watching them probably pretty soon because I'm starting to run out of shows to watch. But to this point, I have not yet seen them. Being on YouTube for me is a little bit more inconvenient than simply being on TV or on demand, or I just think of it, I speak into my voice remote, it pops up. YouTube, you have to go to the app on my Roku, search for it, pull it up, watch it. It's a pain in the ass. So I will get to it. Now that said, uh, I did, and this is again, not a Barry Horowitz thing here, but I did actually get a preview uh, screener of the Owen Hart episode of Dark Side of the Ring. And I'm gonna watch it first before I watch the rest of the season. So I should be watching that Thursday or Friday. Um, and I really hope that I get to speak about it. I have to see what the embargo is, but I'm very excited about the documentary and I'm very curious to see how it is handled because Martha Hart apparently is interviewed on that. And longtime listeners of wrestling podcasts that I've been on um, know the way she reacted to a certain interview that was done with Bret Hart. Um, and I can tell that story one day if needed, if there's any new listeners. Um, so no, that that I'm behind on. What I'm, what I'm ahead on though, is the last ride documentary that WWE is putting out on The Undertaker. Episode one aired um, last week. I think they published it live and then replayed it uh, or played it really for the first time on schedule after Money in the Bank. Well, I got a chance to see episode two. And if you liked episode one, episode two is like 10 times better. I can't spoil it. Um, Friday, I'll be able to tweet about it Friday morning, but it's a great episode. There's a lot of stuff with Undertaker and Vince that I'm really excited for people to see. Adam X Parsons at Adam X Parsons. He says, last summer NXT held the breakout tournament that yielded some wrestlers prominently featured on WWE programming. Grimes, Loomis, Garza, Scott. Where do you see these competitors by the time 2020 ends? I've kind of already spoken about some of these guys. So Grimes, I still think mid-card picture. Maybe he gets another opportunity at the North American title. Loomis, same thing, North American title. Maybe gets a main event match here or there. Definitely an up-and-coming star. Garza, I mean, he's already on Raw. So I don't necessarily know that he's going to be in the title picture, but maybe he ends up teaming with Austin Theory or Andrade and they get a tag team title run or something like that. But I mean, he's already on the main roster, so it's great. I hope, he's going to keep developing. He's still really young. You know, you have to remember like Eddie Guerrero when he was in WCW and then Eddie Guerrero in WWE. I'm not saying they're the same, but... The limit, the limitless potential for Garza is there. He's extremely talented in the ring and on the mic. And I'm just so excited to see what they do with him. And then Swerve, I talked about it. This is a guy who needs to be elevated in NXT. I want to see him in the mid-card title picture. You know, once Keith Lee does lose the title, Swerve is someone who I could see one day being the North American champion. I don't know that he's ever going to be a world champion in WWE, but he could be someone like a Kofi, like a Dolph Ziggler, um, who has a very long career, is really good, and is someone that fans always want more from. That's how talented he is. Brian Owens at Owens11B. 
Do you think they are doing this brand-to-brand invitation to bring on this year's draft, start getting people used to seeing people on new nights? I don't. This, I think, is just simply due to the dire circumstances of WWE's rosters being somewhat depleted, both due to releases and due to people deciding not to work due to coronavirus. Nothing more. I do think they're going to end up doing the draft or trades or something like that every October at the start of the new programming year. I think that is a smart decision for them. Shawn Michaels at REEB82. He asks, everyone has been asking who's going to jump from WWE to AEW. The more interesting question is, who could jump from AEW to WWE? Sammy Guevara to NXT would be an instant North American champion. I agree with that. Sammy in NXT would be huge. But because he's under Jericho's wing, both in storyline and I think in real life as well, he's someone who I think is being groomed to be a main eventer in AEW. I don't think he's going to go to NXT or WWE anytime soon. I don't really have a good answer to your question right now. Um, I do think that probably or potentially the first person to jump, I don't know what his relationship or what his contract is like. I know he's not a vice president, but Jericho at some point will be back in WWE. He'll get inducted into the Hall of Fame. He'll get a legend contract, all of that, unless AEW blows up to such a degree that he's able to be a commentator or on-screen general manager or just a regular manager. It's really tough to know, but I I just kind of have this weird thing in my head where I feel like Jericho is going to be that first one to really make a switch. I think you could take a team or a pair of people like Kip Saban and Penelope Ford and they would fit right in on NXT. WWE would love to get them. Obviously, Penelope's gorgeous and, and Kip has a good look as well. I don't particularly like either of them, but they could work. But there's not really a lot of people in AEW that stand out to me where it's like, hey, they're going to flip to WWE right away. I mean, maybe someone like Joey Janela, who is being underutilized despite his great match last week with Cody, uh, compared to maybe the name value. But I mean, Janela would have to give up the spring breaks and a lot of the other stuff he does outside the ring. So I just don't think there's a clear answer right now. And I think that's okay. AEW has a really strong, solid roster, and WWE and NXT do as well. So if I was WWE, I'd be far more concerned about, you know, finding the next diamonds in the rough outside of wrestling or outside of the main companies right now, rather than just worrying about who to get from AEW. Sean McDermott at I'm Bored Brother. Uh, he wants to know which side of the Die Hard is a Christmas movie argument do I sit on? Uh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I don't know why it wouldn't be. There's snow. It happens during Christmas. Um, there's Santa hats, there's a Christmas tree. Uh, the idea of him visiting his wife for the holiday is central to the story and why he's there. Um, it's a Christmas movie. I mean, there are a lot of people who really don't think it is, but it's no less a Christmas movie than Home Alone is. It's the exact, they went on a trip for Christmas and he's stuck home, uh, during Christmas, but the, it's not about Christmas. Just like Die Hard's not about Christmas, but it's the time of the year and it's thematic. I believe it was actually released during the summer, Die Hard, if I remember correctly. So that is one mark against it. But is Die Hard a Christmas movie? The original? Absolutely. Uh, he also asks, or he also says, I watched American Vandal less than 24 hours in less than 24 hours after your Drew McIntyre interview. Are there any other below the radar shows to recommend? I don't know that American Vandal was really below the radar, but apparently it was. I got multiple people that said they heard my interview with Drew McIntyre, they heard me suggest the show, and they had never seen it before. That is, it's a freaking hysterical show. It's a mock crime documentary 
uh, on Netflix. It's it's fantastic. Season one is far better than season two, but both are entertaining. Um, You know, I don't really feel like this is under the radar, but Narcos on Netflix is fantastic. The original, which is all about Pablo Escobar in Colombia, that's great. Uh, And then the new edition, which is Narcos Mexico, which is talking about not just the cocaine trade, but the marijuana trade as well. Very good. I think there's five total seasons now, so there's plenty to watch. So if you need something to watch and you have Netflix, Narcos is very good. Uh, Sam P., who did not want his Twitter handle uh, read on air, there's been a lot of controversy recently about, uh, I'm also going to redact this name, a certain wrestling commentator and their takes on WWE. Uh, What have been your thoughts about all of these comments? Uh, Well, this person who's speaking about WWE, again, I'm not going to name names, folks, but uh, it's another person who has a podcast and is far more prominent than me. So my take on them probably doesn't even matter. But it's clear that this person either has a really bad memory or or isn't watching the product or isn't absorbing what's happening in the product or is literally just there to talk shit about WWE in lieu of, you know, actual legitimate criticism. Um, I don't know if it's an AEW bias. I don't know really what's going on, but it's been multiple times in the last two weeks where this person's comments have gone out there and people look at them like, is he even watching the show? And it's kind of how I feel. I've never listened to their show regularly. Um, I don't really, like I said, I'm not trying to name names. It's not something where I'm trying to call anyone out. You ask the question, I'm answering it, but it's pretty clear that um, there's something strange going on here. And you need to understand that there's some people in media, a Skip Bayless or a Colin Cowherd, for example, that purposely say things to get people riled up. And it's not that they don't believe them necessarily, but sometimes they provide these stances without context or without proper reasoning because they know they're going to be controversial and they know that they're going to get attention. So that may be a case of this as well. I don't know, but all I can say is I hope everyone enjoys listening to this show and I hope you know that we don't do that here. John Dumphy at John Dumphy 68 Just wondering if you think Becky's pregnancy is woven into Seth's storyline moving forward, and could it ultimately lead to a turn back to babyface? It's a really good question. When Seth had his like mental breakdown on Raw Monday, I couldn't tell if it had to do with the pregnancy as well. Don't forget, Rey Mysterio kind of went up to him, congratulated him, and he like you know gave him a weird stare, and then attacked him later in the show, or if he just couldn't process it while all the negative stuff in his career was happening to him. You know, it's like the opposite of Gary Delabate when like his work life was at a nine and his, you know, personal life was at a two. Well, it's kind of the opposite. Seth's personal life is at like a nine and his, you know, work life is at like a two. He just lost consecutively, you know, to Kevin Owens and Drew McIntyre. So that's what I think it's all about. I think it's about him being this Messiah, but losing in the ring and not being able to live up to the Messiah character that he says he is. But maybe the pregnancy is involved in there. I'm not sure. Either way, for him to go back to a baby face now would be a huge mistake. I mean, maybe by the time the kid is born, maybe like Seth wins the title at like WrestleMania next year and Becky comes out with the kid to celebrate with him and it's a face moment. That could happen. But I don't think they're turning him face now, even though they do need faces on Raw. And I don't think they're going to be turning him a face anytime soon. Andrew Clark at Real Andrew Clark. He said, I haven't heard much discussion about ESPN and their inclusion of WWE events on the bottom line scroll during the pandemic. 
Recently, the worldwide leader announced Howard Finkel's passing by stating he participated in, quote, gimmick matches. And they announced Becky Lynch's pregnancy by saying he is engaged to, she is engaged to, headliner Seth Rollins. Headliner, why not X-time world champion? Do you see WWE news reports this way? And do you think ESPN knows enough about the business and how to talk about the business to properly report on this industry? This is a really good question. I have not noticed this. What I can, this is what I can tell you. There's a lot of really good people at ESPN that are WWE fans that report, edit, and talk about WWE on air. So there's a lot of knowledge and there's a lot of WWE savvy in that company. Tim Fiervanti met him a couple times. Really nice guy. I think there's a guy, Andrew Feldman, who's an editor there. Big wrestling fan. Really good guy as well. Um, and certainly they have, you know, Pete Rosenberg does the Cheap Heat podcast along with Stack Guy Greg. Two really good guys uh, on the times I've met them. So there are people there that are capable, knowledgeable, and, you know, know the inside terms, I guess, or whatever to talk about WWE. But those people aren't writing the bottom line. That is not who does those things. So it may very well be that the person charged with doing that has a limited working knowledge of wrestling and is being told, hey, this happened. We need to put this on the bottom line. They look up best they can. They see Rollins is a star, but he's not a champion right now. So they call him a headliner as opposed to a however many time world champion. So I wouldn't overly criticize that. Um, I think ESPN is probably trying to find sports and entertainment items to fill out the bottom line, which is really news and scores based. Right now there's no scores. So they really only have news and results. Um, But no, I had not seen them do that regularly with WWE content outside of the windows where they did air WWE programming, re-air WWE programming. That is interesting, but I wouldn't be too harsh on them. And yes, there are plenty of people at ESPN that know wrestling very well. Black Sabre Jr. at Black Sabre Jr. He's at the last DM slide today. You're in charge of booking the first show with fans back in the audience. You can choose any active wrestler for their respective company. Whose music hits as the opening segment? It's a good question. So for Raw, it's Drew McIntyre. And if I had to pick anyone and I had to pick any show, it would be Raw and it would be Drew McIntyre. NXT, I would probably go with, I'd probably go with Keith Lake because you want to face fan pop. AEW, I would either go with Cody or Chris Jericho. Probably Cody again for the face pop and Jericho is no longer champion. The other option's Moxley, but the fans really seem to respond to Cody more right now. And for SmackDown, because you're talking about fans being back, I would go with Roman Reigns because what I would assume is that he'd been gone from the company this entire time. Show starts, fireworks, there's a pause, Roman Reigns music hits, fans are excited to see him. So those would be my four. Uh, You know, before we get out of the show here, a couple quick items to talk about. WWE, right before we taped the show, they released on their YouTube a Zoom call with 33 superstars uh, and celebrities that all ended up getting on this call together. It was a takeoff of something Katie Nolan did uh, a few weeks ago. It's really entertaining. Go to the WWE YouTube page, find it. Skip to the nine minute mark. Charlotte Flair jumps on and she's with her, her father, Rick. Rick takes over this entire call for about 15 minutes from the nine minute mark to the 24 minute mark. He is hysterical. Everyone treats him with incredible reverence. He like takes shots at Dolph Ziggler who's on the call and he shouts out like the women on the call. He's hysterical. It's really entertaining. And if you have some time, make sure you watch that. And a lot of you, you know, I looked at the poll when it came to talking about MTV's The Challenge. It seems like only two out of 10 people really want me to talk about it. So I'm not going to 
go into long challenge diatribes go, going forward. I'm not going to have full segments on it. I'm just going to give you like a one line about the challenge every week. That way it's, you know, fulfills what everyone wants. This week's one line is basically uh, Tory's an idiot. That totally failed on Wednesday night. You know, for someone who is, I think, in already in the Mount Rushmore of women's challenge competitors, the fact that she took that long to figure out how to properly play that competition was a joke. Jenna's good. She's better than people think she is, but Tori never should have lost that. And that was a really big disappointment that she's no longer in the season. Okay, that's it. No more challenge. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to this show. I know that the solo uh, Thursday shows talking about AEW and NXT are different than what we normally do. Certainly on Tuesdays, usually uh, it's Chris and I doing a full breakdown of WWE the week that was obviously in the Instant Analysis podcast and the Ultimate Preview podcast. It can be two or three of us, Chris and Jack. Um, You know, there are occasions where Jack is free and able to do the Wednesday show, but he's not available every week. So because of that, I I can't necessarily have him on. I am looking at potentially some other co-hosts for this Thursday spot talking about the Wednesday shows. Haven't landed on anyone right now, but so far so good. I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback for the solo shows. So I hope you guys are enjoying them. I want to thank all of you for joining me. I will repeat, if you have not heard the Money in the Bank Instant Analysis or the WWE Raw Instant Analysis, well, this show is almost over. So once you're done, you know, go drop that five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I would really appreciate that. And then go into those shows. And if you haven't heard my interviews with Drew McIntyre and Aleister Black from last Friday, which are green interviews, they, they, don't, they aren't really about Money in the Bank at all, go back and listen to those interviews. It's really maybe my favorite episode of the show that we've done so far outside of the pay-per-view instant analysis. And I know that not all of you have listened to that particular show yet. Go back and listen to that. But I do appreciate all of you listening to this one. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Don't forget to follow the Silver King at Silverstein Adam. And with that, folks, it's time to say goodbye. Hey, listen, I that. Here, oh, oh. We got something going that's oh. really big. Look in the video school right now and tell them about my show, man. Just tell them how strong it is and tell them where we're going. Yeah. Wait. The Twilight Zone. Yeah. And how cool you've got a chance to see. No, does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man when you say Remember the greatest wrestler, past, present, and future that ever lived. Why? Okay, let's say goodbye. Say goodbye. Okay, get out of here. That was a rock, Randy. Yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. Tell Hulk Hogan that time is I thank you, Randy Savage. And thank you all for listening. Bye for now.